and trying to minister to his congregation, to your people. And Lord, we continue to pray, God, that you would grow his ministry there through the salvation of the people there in the Czech Republic. And Lord, provide for all their needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, normally I wouldn't say this because I'm, I'm not one, I don't want to try to draw any attention to myself, so I'm going to try to do this without doing that. But um, this morning, um, you guys were going to get to hear Kent Nolly teach. Kent Nolly has been here several times. He was Rocky Mountain's uh, missions pastor for many years. And as you guys know, he came here and shared with us before he left. But he is moving, he moved him and his family to Uganda to do uh, missions work in northern Uganda in Gulu, where he was going to be starting a, a school of ministry there and raising up pastors. And they've been in country for about the last <coughs> two and a half months going to, in, uh, to, to uh, missionary training there. And he's back in the United States with his family for about a month and a half, uh, visiting some of their supporters, touching base uh, before moving up to Gulu. They've been in Kampala, which is the southern part of, uh, of, of Uganda. And, um, um, and he was going to come here this morning and, he, and share with us what God was doing and give a message. And he's a great Bible teacher, so I was kind of uh, uh, sad that he couldn't make it, but I was even more sad because I found out this morning at about 6.30, and, uh, and um, so when I found out this morning at about 6.30 that I woke up, and it was actually a little before that, it was about 6.15, I woke up and I got my phone, and I noticed there was two text messages on my phone, and the first was from Kent saying, sorry buddy, I got the flu, I'm not going to make it, sorry for the short notice. And then um, the other text, I have a friend of mine in Pueblo who's got me on a group text that um, uh, uh, I get a Bible verse from him every, every um, day. And, and this, is what I, this is why I wanted to tell you this, because it goes along with what God's put on my heart to share with you this morning. And, and this is the verse that God gave me after I got the message of, from Kent, sorry, hope you can figure something out in two hours basically is what it said. <laughs> That's how I interpreted it. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And this is out of the NIV, so this is the translation it says. But, and and, it's, and it's, God, it's Paul's telling him what God's speaking to him. He said, but, but he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And man, God's so faithful, because even in the midst of, um, for me, which was a, a moment of desperation, and going, oh no, what am I going to do, God? God just reminded me that, uh, as I need to be reminded all so often, he listened, Sean, it's it's not about you. My grace is sufficient. You just go boast in your weakness, and everybody will be amazed that I can use a donkey like you. So with that, I did feel a little fortunate that I didn't try to rush through the last part of the, the study last week, because I had a little material to start off with for this morning, God knowing the beginning of, and the end of all things. So we're in Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to pick up by reading verses 14 through 18. And uh, we'll go from there. Chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. And um, in verse 14, it said, And he, 
And if you remember the he, and, and I don't want to go too much over it from where we've already been and studying through, but he is referring to the third beast, the false prophet. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. The beast, it says, who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. And, and note, this image, again, is it's not constructed by the Antichrist or by the, the false prophet or even by Satan. <coughs> it's constructed in some way in whatever it is. And we talked about that last week, that it really isn't clear what this thing is. But um, the, the, the inhabitants of the earth are the ones that construct this, the ones who are worshiping the beast and Satan. And it said, but to this false prophet... He was granted power to give breath, satanic power, this is, to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Now last week when we began, I took the time to point out that all throughout the book of Revelation, there are these calls to understanding, this this call to hear or to listen, to understand. And, and when there is this call, these repeated calls, up to now this is the fourth time that we see this in this chapter through the book that we've been studying, there's always this promise of a blessing, a, bom- a, a promise of blessing to the one who hears, who listens, and understands. And I spoke to you last week and, and explained that that hearing or that listening, that understanding Comes with the the the, under, the comes with the the understanding or the implication that that it's more than just hearing with your ears. It's an it's it's taking what's been given and applying it to your life. And many people ask, uh, especially those who who are, are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, or even those who perhaps believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. They go, "What's the point of us knowing about these end time things that many of them we're not even going to see?" What's the blessing? What's the point? And I shared a few of them with you last week, but I wanted to share one more with you this morning <clears throat> in light of where we're going. And this kind of came up in our men's group on Friday morning. And, I, and the more I meditated on it, the more I thought about it, you know, it, it, it goes back to one of the things that's a, that's a, a, a Calvary Chapel distinctive. And um, one of the distinctives that sets us apart, or that we adhere to, I don't know if it necessarily sets us apart, but that we adhere to as a Calvary Chapel, a non-denominational church, we are affiliated, we're not denominated, but as an affiliation of believers, one of the distinctives that we share is the centrality of Jesus Christ, meaning it's all about Jesus. And what we do in worship needs to be about Jesus. What we do through the study of the Word of God needs to be centered on Jesus. The ministries that we do as outreach or, or programs, so to speak, that we do, if Jesus isn't the center of it, there's no point. Don't do it. It's all about Jesus. And when we study the book of Revelation and we take that into mind, we see another blessing. Because when we rightly interpret these things, what is revealed to us is again 
a deeper understanding of the person and of the nature of God. It's all about Jesus. You see, God wants us to know Him, and we can know Him more today by seeing what He's going to do in the future, by knowing what He's going to do in the end, and how He goes about it, and His motives behind doing it. For example, when we read through the book of Revelation and we study these end-time things and how they are going to unfold, it further reveals to us the the person and the nature of our God as a God who loves us. Yes, in this book about God's wrath and judgment and justice being poured out, we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ this morning as we study and reflect on these things can go away with the knowledge that God loves us. That's that's who He is. He's a God of love. Not only that, We can see when we rightly interpret these things, when we come to biblical conclusions, as we take things in context, we can see and know about our God that He's a God who keeps promises. He's a God who keeps promises. And because He keeps every promise, all the promises of God, the Bible tells us, are yes and amen. Some of you need to hear that this morning because the truth is, is when we go through this life and we face hard things or we look around at the world as a whole or even the, 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 mis, the, the, the I don't want to say misfortune, the, the depravity of, of, the, of the, the, the society and the culture that we live in, by the way, is also being evident in our own little community again by the fact that the district attorney is not pressing charges on anything that happened within our school systems with the sexting stuff. Now, I don't know all the details, and I don't have all the information that the DA has, so I'm going to clarify that. But from where I'm standing and what I know, if our, if our court systems are unwilling to do something, if our school systems are unwilling to do something when these things happen, what are they saying? Okay. It's okay. And they may not be outwardly coming and saying that, but that's what they're telling our youth. And it's not Okay. But in the midst of looking at these things, right, we go, what, what, what is this world coming to? And we begin to have doubts and we begin to have fears. And Satan comes in and he manipulates those things. But when we come to the book of Revelation and we take things in context, doctrinally speaking, and come to right conclusions, which always needed to be rooted in the fact that, okay, if this is true, it has to line up with the nature of God, what I know to be true about God, the person of God. And if what we interpret here doesn't line up to be true about the nature and the person of God, you know what's wrong? Our interpretation, not what God is like. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And one of the reasons why I point that out is because a lot of people take a a wrong point of view when interpreting scripture and 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 they 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 conclude some things theologically or doctrinally and it conflicts with the nature of the person of God. For example, one of the things that's very big and popular as I shared about this earlier is that there's replacement theologists out there that believe that Israel has been replaced by the church. Well, if you believe that and you come to the book of Revelation and you interpret the church and place the church in there in places where it clearly deals with Israel, you have to conclude come to the conclusion That God is not a promise keeper. Why? Because God's made covenantal promises with 
His people, promises that God said from the very beginning, back with Abraham and back with Moses and on down through the prophets where God said, listen, you guys are going to blow it, he said to his people, but I'm still God and these things are unconditional. I'm going to do them, God says. I'm going to do them. And you have to take that knowledge and the nature of the person of God to these things that we're reading here. Why? Because these things are intended. There's a blessing here for us when we rightly understand them to know that God is a keeper of promises. And if God keeps his promises to the Hebrew people, we can trust and rest that God's going to keep his promises to us. The ones that see us through this time that we're living in, in these last days when the world's crumbling around us, personally, individually, but also that hope, that blessed hope of our own salvation through grace or by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what God said? God said, my son died for you, and if you put your faith in him, you will be forgiven and go to heaven. Why? Because God said, I'm going to do it. And God doesn't go, oh, I changed my mind. Oh, God doesn't break his promises. The other thing that we come to know about studying these things out here in the book of Revelation, this blessing that comes with hearing and reading and understanding another thing about the person and about the nature of God. Hear this for yourself this morning too. Again, is that God is a God who protects us. You know, we look at this world and we know, we see, we've been sheltered in the United States for a long time, have we not, as believers, from the persecution that the rest of the world has experienced down through the age of the history of the church. Guys, we're a minority. We are a minority, the, the church in America, when you take the church as a whole, of, of, the, of the blessing of this, or, or, or maybe not so much a blessing now, as it's playing out to see a lot of compromise and, and sin and other things that's crept into the church, I think, in this place of comfortableness that we've had. But nevertheless, God's gave us this perfect opportunity, so to speak, as Christians, to thrive and, and we, in some sense, have, have misused that. But if you look at the, the world as a whole, the church as a whole, down through the ages, by far the church has been characterized as those who have suffered much persecution for following Jesus Christ, even unto death very regularly, and it still goes on today. But the truth is, the fact of the matter is, is that as we see those things unfolding in the world around us, and we go, all of us, we go, it's coming here, do we not? If the Lord delays, we all would agree that there's a very, very good chance that we're going to see that in our own lives. I mean, literally in our own lives here in the United States. There's a shift, a major shift. And God told us, Jesus told us, He said, because they hate me, they are going to what? Hate you. And I don't mean the type of persecution where they go, oh, shut up, Christian. You ain't got no voice here. We don't want to hear what you say. I mean, the type of persecution where we're going to be tested with, with um, um, betrayal, with physical harm, much like we see. But what do we know about our God? He protects us. And even if it's unto death, we go unto death, God still 
protects us. He's who we put our trust in. He's who we put our faith in. And that's the basis for where we're going this morning. And when we ended our study last week, we did so, we did so with just a few verses of this chapter left, not even all the ones that I read. I read a little bit for context, but really there's only three verses that we had left. And I told you, I said last week, I told you that You know, and I should have known, I even said, next week, and I already knew Kent was coming, so I should have said, in two weeks, but I told you that we would would not move on before we went through these last few things here in this, in this verse, in these verses. Um, the, the things regarding the mark of the beast. You know, we've been talking about the one world government, one world religion, and the mark of the beast, and, and man, these are, these are hot topics in the minds and the heart of the world, and, and even the, as Christians and, and unbelieving world alike, they want to know about these things. And in this chapter, we're told about the Antichrist. We're told about the Antichrist rising into power and ruling over a confederation of ten nations. And um, this confederation, we're told, will only last for a short while, considering it will be a means to an end as this Antichrist, or the Antichrist, will it says, will pluck up by the by the roots the the, the horn which representative these nations. He will remove two of these nations, and he will rise up to rule over seven of those other nations, the seven that are left. But for this reason, in order to wage war against God and to wage war against the tribulation saints during that last three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, also in this chapter, in John chapter 11, it, it, or also in this chapter, John, in verse 11, tells us of seeing another beast. Remember, another beast coming up out of the earth. We began to read about him here in verse 14. Another beast rising up out of the earth. And, and this beast was characterized as having horns as of a lamb. Remember? Horns as of a lamb, but speaking like a dragon. And I, and I clarified or I explained to you how this third beast, as a result of that description, is telling us that he'll have this outward appearance of being good, like Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is good, but inwardly he's full of evil, of evil just like the, the Antichrist whom he serves. And, and, and in fact, we are told that this third beast is going to be a false prophet who deceives the inhabitants of the earth um, by the supernatural things that he is given um, power and authority to do, and through this deception, the world be led into worshiping the Antichrist, and even, as I pointed out as we were reading through this, even, instru- by even constructing an image of the Antichrist that will breathe and speak and kill anyone who refuses to the worship the Antichrist. Now, I don't usually like to take things and make them super spiritual, but there's, there's, a, there's an, a really incredible, cool analogy or, or spiritual thing to glean from this. And, and as I began to think about it, you know, how often do we in our own lives construct things, idols, right? Even as we prayed, you know, come let us, ad- we sung worship, come let us adore him. And we prayed, you know, Lord, if there's any affections of our heart, any adoration that we are giving that you deserve, that we're giving to something or someone else, if we get examined, if God examines our heart and shows us, hey, this is, this is a, something you need to look at, truly what that is, is it's an idol. And we construct these things as we give our love or our affection that God deserves, as we give our love and affection over to these things. But as you look at this, this description of this, this image of the beast, this idol that apparently comes to life and has a certain amount of power, the very thing that these people construct is the very thing that kills them 
when they refuse, when they decide, or when they choose to not worship. Man, is that not exactly how it is in the world today? These things that we give our love or our affection to because we believe that it's going to do something for us. It's going to, it's going to fill us, and we're going to talk about that too. But in the end, it's just death. It's destruction. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no life. And even though this thing has this appearance of life, it's not a life giver. It's a what? It's a life taker. And that's the deception of the world. The world's chasing after these things that I think are going to give them life. We get sucked in to, to giving our attention, our time, our, our love over to these kinds of things that we think are going to be life-giving, and it's the very thing that takes the life from us. Now, in addition to all these things, the false prophet, we are told, will be used by the Antichrist to maintain control over all those who left on the earth during this last three and a half years. And this is what brings us back to verse 16 of this chapter where it says, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. And that no one, it says, no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, in light of what we read here in these final verses, I want to point out to you that there are several things that you need to take notice of, that we should take notice of. The first is found in verse 16. If you'll look there, it tells us that through the mark of the beast, which appears to be um, from what we read in verse 17, it's not three different marks, right? That's not what we're being told here. But this mark, which appears to be synonymous with his name or the number of his name, meaning the Antichrist, is that through this mark, he will be able to control the inhabitants of the earth. Whether they are rich or poor or great or small, meaning nothing from your social, nothing from your economic status will garner a person an exemption. And that's very unusual because that's some of the things that we scream about all the time today. You know, we look at how people who are privileged or who know somebody, you know, you've heard that, that saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And we say that because somebody else gets to do something that we don't get to do. Or someone else gets exempted from something that we don't get exempted from. And that's a pretty much a standard way of operating in the world that we live in. Would you not say that's natural to, to our world, to our culture as a whole? But here we see that there's not going to be an exemption. Rich, poor, great or small, all are going to be made to take the mark of the beast. Now this mark will go on to serve many purposes. And the most practical is stated here in these verses when it tells us that, again, the rich people and the poor people all alike will need this mark, whether it's on their, on their hand or in their forehead, they will need this mark in order to buy or sell. And in light of this, it makes sense to speculate, okay, there's danger in that, but it makes sense to speculate that this mark, which will be put in the hand or in the forehead, we know that for sure, it, it reasons to speculate that this mark will or will be similar to the chips that are already in many of our credit cards today. How many of you guys have one of those newer credit cards? You know, I, I still swipe my, my card all the time. And it's like, you got to put it in there. And I'm like, what? 
Anyway, it's not more convenient, to say the least. But you know that little chip in there? That's very possibly what this could be like, same kind of technology. And you know what? Unlike generations that have come before us, even generations, what I'm talking about is like uh, a generation 10 years ago, if that would be a generation, I don't know. But 10 years ago, this technology was not available, but it is today. This kind of technology, not only that's in our credit cards, but technology that could be implanted in the human body is available right now. And if you're interested in knowing more about this, this isn't conspiracy kind of stuff. I try to stay away from all that when I'm giving you these kinds of things. And believe me, there's plenty of stuff out there you can, you can lash onto. I'm just trying to give you the facts. But if you're interested in knowing more about this, I suggest you check out a company called Applied Digital Solutions. Applied Digital Solutions, specifically, if you go to their website, their Positive ID program, which consists of a human implantable microchip that has already gained FDA approval as of 2014. Now, just to be fair, that program's been put on hold because, even though it's got FDA approval, um, it got put on hold because it's found out that this chips in other animals has possibly been the cause of some cancer. But that company since sold, and it's now under new ownership, and they have every intention of going forward with this, this, this product. And here's the reason why. One of the reasons why is because one of the, with the ever-increasing threat of identity theft, right? How many times you hear that? You turn on the radio, and there's advertising after advertising after advertising. And, and you know what? I think there's a real concern. Who's concerned about having your identity stolen? Someone get your Social Security number and wiping out your bank account. I mean, we personally have had... You know, our, our debit card and, and other things taken twice now where I've gone to use it and everything's gone. All 22 cents. It's gone. <laughs> but, but you know what there is? There's like bank fees that equal up to like $400 or something. And I'm like, what are you kidding me? I didn't go buy anything from this place online or whatever. And, and you know, people get your information. They get your number. And it's really easy for them to rob you blind. Has anyone else had that happen to them? Has had their bank account? Yeah, I mean, it's a real threat. And so we begin to put these things together and we go, it makes sense. Like never before. We don't have to conjecture into these things to the point where we go, well, maybe it means this. We look at it and we go, no, it, it, it says what it says and that's what it's going to be. And so with this ever-increasing threat of identity theft, the promotion and marketing of this implantable chip by applied digital solutions is beginning to make a sense to a lot of people. Your credit cards hold, that chip holds all kinds of financial information about you already. You know, one of the other things that's weird with the technology, who, on my, on my iPhone, like when I, I don't even know how this happens, I'm sure I probably did it in, indirectly, but like when I buy a ticket, an airline ticket or something like that, I, it get, uh, my calendar shows me, hey, it's you, and I didn't put it on there, it just puts it on there. When I'm going, when I'm leaving, when I'm getting back, where I'm going, all these things. And then, and then not only that, I start getting um, uh, all kinds of other information surrounding that, that that people should not know. And I don't know how they do. I'm going to go off the grid. <laughs> now, that's not where our hope is at. And that's, that's the point of really what this is about, this whole study. You know, We don't have to fear. 
You know, and, and, and fear may be a motive or a tactic of enemy to get these things to come into place, but our God is not a God of fear. He's a God of love. And in verse 18, when it talks about the mark, it says, here is wisdom. You see that? Verse 18, here is wisdom. And then we're told how we might be able to calculate the number of the beast. And in light of this, I want to point out the difference between wisdom and knowledge is that knowledge is simply information. If you have knowledge and information, it does not mean you are wise. There's a lot of smart people out there who are very foolish. Knowledge and information does not make you wise. But, inform- but wisdom, which is different than, 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 than being foolish, wisdom is information rightly applied. Knowledge rightly applied applied. As a matter of fact, if you study out the book of Proverbs, it talks about seeking wisdom, about purchasing wisdom, about about seeing how valuable wisdom is, that knowledge that's found in there rightly applied. It says there's a blessing. It says treasure it, pursue it, seek it. It's more precious than gold and silver and rubies. Wisdom, knowledge rightly applied. And when we look at these things, we see the difference between a person who is wise and a difference between a a person who is foolish is not lack of information. Rather, it's what a person does with the information that they gain, which will determine if they are foolish and wise. And this morning, the same is true with us. What are we to do with the information that we gain? Will we go from here, having applied it to our lives, being wise, or will we go from here and be fools? You remember in James chapter 1, verses uh, 22 through 25, it says, you know, and, and, uh, just, just, just for sake of explanation, these passages of Scripture that we refer to probably uh, on somewhat of a regular basis that many, hopefully you by now, know exactly what those, what those Scripture references refer to. You know why I read them to you rather than me just you know, quote them or, or paraphrase them? I read them to you because it's the Word of God that is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Not my words. I can come up here and tell you, hey, you need to apply this to your life, but it can't penetrate into your heart. It's got to be the Word of God. There's, there's, it's supernatural. It's dynamic. And so the Word of God says here, it says, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes away and he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, it says, and continues in it and does not, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one, now here it is, this one, again the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. Why? Because he's doing what God's word says. It's an issue of, of being in obedience. Jesus said, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. The word of God. So the first of these three things regarding the, 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 the mark of the beast or the mark, the first of these three things that we can look at, put into our lives as applied knowledge, wisdom. The first thing I want to point out to you is, is that, this, that this, this mark is called the number of man. The number of man. And the idea behind this is that six being the number of man is less, is one less than the number seven. 
and you didn't even need Common Core to figure that out. <laughs> it's less than the number seven. And the significance behind that is this. The significance behind that is because the number seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. And man, being represented by the number of six, is lacking completeness and lacking perfection. He's lacking. And, 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 and as we see this, this number of man, six, it illustrates the fact that man is incomplete. Not only that, but man lives, we men, humankind, mankind, lives in this state of hopeless and perpetual imperfection apart from God. The Bible explains that when God created mankind, when He, commu- when he commun- commuted, created Adam and Eve, that they were created, it tells us, in the very likeness or the very image of God. Right? So who here looks into the world and sees mankind and goes, oh, I see God. So what went, what went wrong, Right? If, if mankind was created in the likeness and the very image of God, and we look at the world as, we, as a whole, and we go, oh my goodness. But if you look at the church, when I look at you guys who have Jesus Christ, I see something different. I see the likeness of God, the image of God. And seeing all this illustrates that, 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 that uh, what the Bible explains to us, it illustrates to us where the Bible explains that, that when man created God, or when God created man, excuse me, he was created in the very likeness of image of God, yet when man sinned, when sin entered in, when, God, when man said, God, we don't need you, we're not going to do it your way, when that happened, the, the likeness of God in man became blemished. It became marred. You know, if you take one of these really cool uh, pieces of artwork that we're all familiar with that's been handed down from you know, generation to generation, and you mar or blemish it, it doesn't look like what it originally was when the Creator made it, right? And, and, and that's kind of the picture with us as human beings. And consequently... The only way for a man to be complete, for, for humankind or for mankind to be complete, whether it's, it's, it's globally or individually, in spite of our imperfection, the only way to be complete is to add God back into the picture, back into our lives. And this is where Jesus, the Savior, comes into the picture. And through His death, through His resurrection, man has the opportunity to not only be restored back to God, but to become in the likeness of. Through that sanctification. Through the indwelling, that new nature where old things have passed away. And the Bible says all things become new. And when any man or woman, the Bible teaches us, puts their faith in Jesus for salvation and for restoration. Now think about that word. Isn't that cool? Because lots of times these ancient, these, these paintings and, and things, they do get marred. But now we have these, these, these experts who can come and they, they restore them. And they make them look like they originally did. I don't quite get that. I'm not an artist. 
but I'm a car guy, so I think about restoration and the idea of an automobile, or, or I do work on houses too, and, and taking, we have a 1917 craftsman style home, and my wife insisted that it get restored back to what it originally was. Now, we did a few modifications, but, but pretty much when you walk in, the whole goal is to see the, the molding and the stain on the, on the woodwork and the original floors and cabinetry that matched that period in that era. It was a restoration process. That house by far did not look like what it originally had been created to be. It was uninhabitable. But when we came in and we did the work over a long, long time, you know, it, it, it looks different. The outside's still got a ways to go. <laughs> don't, don't judge us when you drive by. But it's, it's the same thing with, with man and Jesus Christ as we have this opportunity to be restored back to God, to that likeness, to that image that we once were created to be. And when any man or woman puts their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and for restoration, that which is lacking, that which is marred becomes, now here's the word, it becomes complete. The Bible tells us complete, lacking nothing, com complete in Jesus. And only in Jesus can a person be complete. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 tells of this saying. Beware. Now understand, this is a warning. And there's a reason why we're warned of this. It says, beware lest any of you, not some of you, lest any of you, or lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we know that, that, that it says that Jesus was the very expressed image of the Father. The disciples said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll believe. And, and he said, have you... Not, have I not been with you all this time? He says, if you've, and you do not know, he says, if, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, in human form. And, and Jesus, and, and, and Paul writes, and he says, in light of this warning, he says, and you, you, you and me, we are complete in him. I mean, that's that. When you believe that, when you put your faith in that, when you understand that, when you receive that, you're set free from anything and everything that this world will want to bring you in on. It says, You are complete in Him who is the head, Jesus, the head of all principality and of all power. You see, deep down, the point is, the point is, is that deep down inside all of us, inside every man, inside every woman, is this sense, this knowledge, this understanding uh, of, of this lack of completeness that the Bible says that we now have bearing the number six, the number of man. What we are apart from God. There's not a person alive that doesn't sense that, that doesn't know that on the inside. And in vain attempts, we all, in vain attempts to be made complete men and women alike, have searched and are searching all of God's creation to fill that void. 
to be restored. And they fill themselves with all kinds of things from, the Bible tells us, from the creation. Rather than worshiping the Creator, they turn to the creation. They turn to the creation rather than turning to the Creator, and they never find what they are desperately looking for. In fact, those who claim to have found something to make them complete, those who claim to have found something <laughs> to make them a complete apart from this restored relationship to God through faith in Jesus Christ. These are the ones who construct these vain philosophies and these empty deceits that Paul warns against in Colossians. So we are incomplete apart from God. And there is nothing that this world has to offer that can make us complete. But when we consider the number of man is not just a single six, is it? It's a trinity of sixes. Six, six, six. When we consider that, you know what it does? It further points us to the Holy Trinity, the, the, the complete Godhead that we need in our lives. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But this trinity of sixes also points us to this satanic trinity of Satan that we've been reading about, the Antichrist, his false prophet that we are told about, and, and, and this, this, this iconic image that, that we read. And in, 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 in all that, we are told that this mark is the number and the name of the beast. And in light of this, there has to be, or in light of this, there has been and are today many people who have taken the Greek letters of the alphabet because, because every letter of the Greek alphabet also has a numeric value. And so when they see this and it says, hey, understand the name of the, the beast, the name of the Antichrist is 666, they, 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 they take the, 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 the numeric um, uh, values, apply it to the, the Greek alphabet, and they try to identify and decipher the name of the Antichrist. Now in doing so, these people have speculated and conclude all kinds of formulas to try to reveal who the Antichrist is. And when I mean all kinds, I mean all kinds. Thousands of books, thousands of, of theories and, 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 and things that people spend so much time and effort trying to, to decipher. And you know what? This has been done for Adolf Hitler, for Joseph Stalin, for George Bush, for Prince Charles. And then there's a, there's a, I, someone gave me this really, really weird book once. Oh my gosh. On, on how Prince Charles is the Antichrist. And, 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 um, and, and they take these numeric values on Charles' names. And, and well, when you come to, here's this whole book. I mean, it's a huge book written on it. All these things. Well, well when you come to study out Prince Charles in his true name, it's, it, it's not whatever their last names are. Charles, whatever. The royal guy. His name is this. <laughs> and, and you can't apply any kind of numerical value to it. And it just goes to show just how one-sided and mistracked people can get when they put their faith and their trust in something other than Jesus. Because his name is Charles Philip Arthur George Windsor. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's like, okay. But this has even been done, and some of you might feel this way. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, but some people have even taken the mark of the beast and, and, and discerned it through, through Greek numerology and the, and the alphabet and go, well, it's President Barack Hussein Obama. 
But the truth is, all this is nonsense. It's nonsense. There's no wisdom in this. It's foolishness. And I would encourage anyone to not waste their time on these kinds of things, especially in light of the fact that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, see the, the simplicity of God's Word, guys. You've got to stay there. You've got to stay there. Because the simplicity of God's Word and the dealing with this, this issue in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it clearly tells us that the Antichrist will not be made known. He will not be revealed. God says, I'm not telling you who He is. You're not going to know until the Holy Spirit who restrains is, moved from the, is removed from the earth. Okay, so then what do I do? What do we do with this information? How do we take this information and use it as wisdom rightly applied to our lives? And when it comes to these things and having wisdom, knowledge rightly applied, we need to understand that we who put our faith, our faith in Jesus, you and I need to understand because of the whole counsel of the Word of God, that which is found in the book of, of Thessalonians and, and all these other things that we've read about so far and have been reading about in the days and weeks past and even today, that when we take all of these things and we bring them into the, the context, we have to understand that we who put our faith in Jesus have no need to labor over the identity of the Antichrist or even even of the time frame of when he comes, because this is not who we are looking for. It's not who we're looking for. You know, we're looking for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who said, I'm coming back for you. And he alone is who we are to put our trust in. He alone is who we are to put our trust in. And if you're looking for anything else, if you're looking to anything else, there's a certain amount of trust that you're putting in that. We're not to put our trust in guesses or in the speculations of men. Here's a reason why. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5-8, through 8, it says this. It's a really, really cool thing. It admonishes us in light of this. It says... Thus says the Lord, to get your attention, Jeremiah says, listen, it's not me, it's the Lord. God says this. God says this. He says this to us this morning, and it applies to many areas, many avenues of our lives, specifically this. It says, it says or in, in addition to this, he says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. And if that's not enough for you, God says, not only is, is cursed is man who trusts in man, but cursed is man who makes flesh his strength. Whose heart departs from the Lord. Why? Because those two things are synonymous. If you're putting your faith and your trust in man or in human flesh, whether it's someone else's or your own, and that could be their intellectual thinking or their thought processes or what they do or what they cannot do, their resources or your resources. When you have that going on, you know what happens? Your heart departs from the Lord. There's a division there. In Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah says those things are synonymous. You put your trust in Him, your heart departs from the Lord. For He shall be this guy, this person. We are like this. When this happens, you're like a shrub in the desert. And you shall not see when good comes. You shall not see when good comes. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. 
Think about that. Have you ever been going through a really hard time and go, man, I am in a dry, parched, wilderness place. There's no need for that. There's no need for that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, for those who are looking to God and putting their faith in God. There's no need for that. You may be in the wilderness, but the Bible says it'll be different for us. You won't be like a parched tree or, or shrub. He says, he says, like parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. And then he goes on and he says this, blessed, again, the same place where we started out this morning, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by waters, <coughs> which spread out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding its fruit. You see, the fact of the matter is, guys, is just like people, all people, men and women alike, just like all people are looking for something to make them feel complete, okay? All people are also looking for something to put their trust and their faith in. Someone says they have no faith, they don't put faith in anything, <laughs> they're lying, you know? And just to kind of give you a point, atheists, they exercise greater faith than you and I do. It's a blind faith, but they exercise faith. Everybody is looking for something or someone to put their trust and faith in. But it's just like, and, but just like there is nothing in this world that can fill the emptiness for those who know they're incomplete and feel this sense of, of incompleteness, there's also nothing in this world, nothing the world that this world offers that is worth putting our trust and faith in. And I know you guys, logically, we all in our mind, because we've been walking with the Lord, we know, we go, duh, I get it, I understand it. But then on the other hand, we go, but duh, why do I do it? You know? There's nothing in this world worth putting our trust and faith in. And this is because nothing in this world is completely trustworthy. Nothing in this world offers anything to us that is reliable 100% of the time. Nothing in this world that is completely faithful. And I could stand up here and, you know, I, I thought about, it. okay, I'm going to go into, in my, 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 my well, anyway, I'm, I'm going to kind of list some of these things out and I'm going to relate them to things that I've gone through. And I've done that for you before and I'm not ashamed to do that. Like I've got to be something I'm not. But the truth is, is when I think about this, I could stand up here and I could give us all many examples of things and people in this world that people have put their faith and trust in. And if I was to explain these things, and, and tell you why they are not faithful or trustworthy, all I would be doing is explaining what you all have already tested and founded to be true. Right? And, and truthfully, the same is true for me. And even though I have put my faith and trust in other things, then God, my experience is the same as yours. I'm asking you this morning. God's asking us, I think, in light of this, to recall those things. Not only things in the, in the past, but the things in the present that we're looking at and doing today. And there is nothing and no one other than Jesus Christ who is faithful. Nothing and no one than Jesus Christ who is faithful and true. And ever since I have made my decision to put my hope and faith in Jesus, you know what? There's been fruit. Just like we read in Jeremiah. The worship team wants to come up. We're going to spend the rest of the time as I close this out in prayer.
we do the second Sunday of every month, uh, some of the leaders, elders will come forward and and give you a chance to pray. And you know, some of us this morning probably need to come forward and and after hearing these things, I think, and re-examining where we're at and and cry out to God in prayer and go, God, you know what? I put my trust in this. I put my faith in this. But here's the thing. We don't, we don't get set free on our own. We don't go from here. Knowledge isn't just taking these things and going, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tear down these idols. You have to purpose in your heart to do so, but it's got to be God who strengthens you to do so. And the place that we come to Him is through prayer going, God, set me free from these things. Set me free. And as I've given, like I said, as I've given my life to Christ and put my hope in Him, there's been fruit. Meaning, <clears throat> what I mean by that is that my hope has not been disappointed once, never once. My hope in Jesus Christ has never been disappointed. Who here has ever been disappointed by something in the world? By someone in the world? See what I mean? We've had these experiences. How about, in, how about as a Christian? Have you ever been disappointed? <laughs> But you know what? My hope in Christ has never been disappointed. My life has been abundantly blessed. And even when the difficulties of life have come my way, I have never been given a real reason, okay? Not to say the fear hasn't come in, but like it says in Jeremiah, I have never been given a real reason to have fear. Ever. When I put my faith and hope in Jesus Christ. If the lights can be turned down and if you guys want to get ready and the, the Ginjama want to come forward, I'm going to end with this as we spend time worshiping the Lord with two more songs and inviting and asking you guys to come up and pray. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, rather fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Father, we pray, God, that these things would be true in our lives. Father, we claim these promises that we'd rest in your truth. Father, that we would come to you this morning, that we would repent. Father, that we would be honest and truthful. And God, that you would do a work in us and set us free. Father, we again, put our trust in You, our faith in You. Lord, we know that we're incomplete, marred, and lacking without You. But that in You, Lord, we have everything. Father, help us to trust in that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. stood before creation eternity in your hand and you spoke the earth into motion I saw now to stand and you stood before my failure Carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon me.
what can I do that offer this heart, oh God, completely to you? Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing, and mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. My Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures. And fill my life again. Give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. Is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light, shine your light, and let the whole world see. Sing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light, and let the whole world see. Sing for the glory. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Offer of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior. Savior, Savior, we can move the mountains. My 
God bless you guys, and uh, go and be a light this week. See you next week. God bless.